This podcast is a presentation of UCTV.TV, University of California Television. Like what you learn? Help others discover UCTV podcasts by leaving a comment or rating in iTunes. Also, make sure to check out and subscribe to our YouTube original channel, UCTV Prime, available only on YouTube at youtube.com slash UCTV Prime. This UCTV podcast is sponsored in part by Audible.com, your destination for the widest selection of digital audiobooks available, including many by guests you've heard here on UCTV. Audible.com is offering UCTV podcast listeners a free 30-day trial subscription and one free audiobook download. Just visit audibletrial.com slash UCTV to sign up. That's audibletrial.com slash UCTV. And thanks. Hi, all. I'm Sherry Steinkellner. And yes, I think we do have about 100 years of collective experience, but that's in dog years. Um, (laughs) um, Collective writing, team writing, or as we uh, back in the day used to call it, very politically incorrectly, gang-banging a script, um, is actually... That's why I was always disappointed when I showed up. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, we'll write. It's actually necessary in television. There are not enough hours in the week or cells in the brain for one man or even a few men or women to accomplish the awesome task that it is to turn out a television show 26 times. In our day, it was 26 episodes a a year. It's just too much work. You run out of stuff. And so we, very, very early in the television game, um, I know the tradition dates back probably before your show of shows, but it was, it's been famously documented um, that people have gathered on your show of shows, which was Sid Caesar, they had a writing room that included Neil Simon and Mel Brooks and many other... Woody Allen. Woody Allen. Uh, young beginning writers that came together to pool their resources and um, make a whole that was greater than the sum of the parts. Um, for I think for a lot of us, our first experience of a writing room was watching the old Dick Van Dyke show. And we would watch Rob Petrie and, and, and Buddy Sorrell and Sally be in a writer's room on television, a fake writer's room, and... Um, and, and have just what looked like the most fun grown-ups could have, which was their job was to make each other laugh. Um, so I think that's probably why some of us ended up doing this, right? Sure. I wanted to meet Laura Petrie. <laughs> that's why, I, that's why I'm still doing it. <laughs> I couldn't do anything else. So I needed the money. <laughs> so... Um, so we've all come to this business that is writing together as a team. Um, in his new book, Imagine, Jonah, uh, How Creativity Works, Jonah Lehrer talks a lot about the collective process and how many brains come together and whether it's um, by virtue of the fact that we have an appreciative audience when we're writing out loud or we have some kind of collegial criticism, the idea is that better stuff comes when you work together Together, bump up against each other, make each other work harder, fail together, and then pull yourself out of the trenches and succeed together. So we become a team. We become a platoon. Um, we switch off. We, um, all of us have worked in rooms together with each other in different um, combinations. 
But, uh, and, and we work in many different rooms if you have a healthy career as a television writer. Um, so on that note, I'd kind of like to tell you about some of the rooms that we've worked in, and then we'll tell you a little bit about those rooms. And then we'll take some questions, and then we'll play room. Okay, <laughs> so um, let's see. I married Billy, and we, over there, and um, we, have, we began our career working on the Jeffersons, and our second job was, as um, Richard said, was working on Cheers, our second big job. We worked on a few shows in between, but we like to jump straight to Cheers because it changed our lives. Um, there we met Ken and David, who had worked together first on MASH. Yeah. And then... After MASH. After MASH. And then our career was over. And, uh, <laughs> it's the world's, the world's fastest elevator ride from the penthouse to the cellar. Was, was and fortunately, we, we got, got on Cheers, yeah. Yeah, we did get on Cheers. That's right. the world's smallest box set, by the way, the, after, the, the, the After MASH. The <laughs> which, DVDs. by the way, is available in the lobby right <laughs> So that's Ken Levine and David Isaacs. That's Bill Steinkellner. We knew John Stark uh, because we all worked together in a comedy troupe called The Groundlings. And I think we gave you your first job on Cheers, correct? Yeah, I guess. No, <laughs> yeah, yeah. They gave That's how we got the job. My, yeah. I had been writing spec scripts with my partner, Tra- partner Tracy Newman, and we were getting nowhere. And I finally, I just called Sherry up to get a, a mutual friend's name. She said, are you guys still writing? And I said, yeah. Well, you, you have any spec scripts? Oh, yeah, we got spec scripts. <laughs> so I sent her one, and I think two days later, hey, you want to be on Cheers? We are like, gulp. Uh, okay, yeah. So I'm sitting in a room with with these guys and, and David Lloyd and, and uh, Jimmy Burroughs, I, I was terrified. But Billy said to me that one of the greatest things I, I always remember, he said, look, you don't have to prove you're good. Just pitch when you want to pitch. And it, it just made it so much and easier it, for boy, us. Boy, a lot of it sucked. No, <laughs> yeah. Really, just yeah. Really, that was wow. that collegial criticism. <laughs> yeah. How about something funny this time? Yeah. But the good news about being free to pitch something that sucks is if, if Johnny says something that sucks as he often did, mm-hmm. <laughs> then maybe David would say the opposite of that, which is the opposite of suck. So if you're brave enough, if you've got a room way, that's <laughs> free enough to just, be able <laughs> to just be able to pitch, then often you come at it the, the back way. So... That's the point. We'll get. I'm still trying yep. to make sense of the first session this morning. So I, <laughs> I, I actually uh, I remember pitching. Uh, uh, Sherry and I used to have a partner, Fee Sutton, uh, when we were doing a show called Bob with Bob Newhart. And I remember actually pitching something to them, and they like completely misinterpreted it. And it was still better. It was like, okay, go with that. You know, <laughs> uh, well, we uh, uh, the Groundlings is an improvisational group in uh, in Los Angeles, and a lot of really good comedy people came out of it. Um, and, uh, and it's, uh, improvisation is a really good uh, technique to know when you're going to be in a writer's room because there's a lot of that, basically. You have to change things. You have to go with something. You know, uh, it, it, it makes you much more flexible than well, I think if you were most a, stand-up comics are. If you were going to talk about a, like a, almost a prerequisite course for going in the room, uh, improv would be a great yeah. uh, one just because it frees you up, can't say no, you... You, you know, things bounce, and that's what the room is. The room is very much improv. How we long are we going to keep before we introduce Janice? I, I, yeah. I have to get to Janice. <laughs> oh, go ahead. Because I think we're doing pretty well uh, so yeah. far. So far, so good. Who had nine minutes? <laughs> well, Janice Hirsch, we worked on in a room uh, for a show called Hope and Gloria, which had the distinction of falling um, on NBC's 
fabulous must-see TV time um, Thursday night between Friends and Seinfeld. So Hope and Gloria was what you call the hammock show right. in the sense that Friends and Seinfeld were the trees and Hope and Gloria was the hammock. Um, our ratings were, did not merit more than a season and a half and yet we had some of the most amazing room times together uh, there. So we, and, and, the ratings, and the ratings we had then would now make it a hit. That's how much oh, TV yeah, we has were, changed. We were yeah. in the... In the Back we then, the they used to say, yeah, anything with a something. two in front of it in the, in the 20 right. million viewers would keep you on the air. Yeah. Now, you can do great with a five. Yep. Um, yeah. Janice Hirsch, uh, tell some of the other rooms you've been in. You've worked with Ken and David on Frasier? I worked on Frasier, Frasier and I didn't work on Wings. No, she didn't oh. work on Wings. There was she, some other you and I worked, worked, I we, we worked a year on Frasier On together. Frasier. Yeah. And you were off directing. Uh, yeah, you were directing, and... John and I have never worked together. Welcome to the room. I know. Yeah. And so <laughs> I, I don't know who I've been working with, but... You've been working with Gary Shandling. You did I that show. I with Shandling. Which was a show about writing a show. Right. It was the first Gary Shandling show, um, not the Larry Sanders. Oh, I apologize. Yes. No, that's okay. It was the, it was, it's Gary Shandling's show. Um, and I lasted six weeks, which was the longest that any woman ever lasted on wow. the show. So you're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. And I happen to know that you'll be sharing some very intimate and special moments from that a little later in our presentation. It was, was, yeah, it was a joy to be a woman there. (laughs) It was a joy. (laughs) So, um, other rooms we've worked in. Let's, Johnny, you went from working on Cheers to working on Ellen? I went for six excruciating months on The Nanny. And then, oh, uh, I was on the nanny. Yeah. <laughs> and then uh, I worked on I worked on Ellen, the, the TV show, for five six years, I think. And she we were like the only writers, Tracy and I. One other guy, Alex Hirschleg, she kept for all six seasons, and we ended up writing the coming out episode. And uh, that was really kind of a high point in my life. And then it was kind of all downhill from there. <laughs> but it's about to go back up. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, so, let's see. So, we've got Ellen. We've got Shandling. We've got MASH. We've got Cheers. We've got Jefferson's. Um, uh, we worked on Bob together. Will and Grace. See, Will I, and Grace. Yeah, I, I worked on, uh, on Wings, on Frasier, on the Tony Randall show. We had three series of our own. We had a sh- series called uh, Almost Perfect in the mid-'90s. Thank, Thank you. you. It's Thank a, you. Thank you. Right. It's a personal favorite of ours as well. Thank you. You should have called it almost and, picked yeah. up. And then, and then I, I worked on Sibs. <laughs> and uh, I, that's my mama or something. You know, it, it, was, it was a time when, when you made really good money working one night a week. And if you were good at pitching jokes... You got these these shows, so uh, I would I would try to get shows that you knew were not going to last thirteen weeks, and like make a deal for like thirteen episodes guaranteed, so that after four, when it was canceled, and they call up and they say the network canceled, and you go, oh God, that's that's tough. I mean, we were really just starting to feel it. You quickly get on the phone to your agent and say, yes, okay, <laughs> just give me my one lump sum. It's that kind. <laughs> It's that I kind of integrity that made our reputation <laughs> <laughs> <in> business. <laughs> well, I, look, I found when I decided to no longer consider myself an artist but a whore that two things happened. Number one, I made more money. And number two, the work improved. 
How far down are we going with this? <laughs> <laughs> you and Mary Magdalene. Yeah, I've been on. I've been on. You know, class Murphy Brown and Will and Grace and Frasier and 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 classy shows. And I've also been on show. I mean, my wife and kids. I've been on Till Death. I've been on some bombs, but. You have as much fun if you're working. It depends on who you're working with. Exactly. Absolutely. You work just mm-hmm. as hard because nobody wants to write a bad TV show. You go in every morning hoping that you're going to make it funny. And you, you do, whether the actors can do it, whether the audience has an appetite for it, whatever. But if you're working with good people, you make each other laugh. It's a, it's a great life. You don't try. You know, I, I always say, you know... I'm, not young per se, but I'm young at heart. But I'm. <laughs> but I. You're neither just, now. Uh, I'm neither now, exactly. But I, but I, but I just constantly look for where it's going to be more fun, as yeah. opposed. You know, the only two career moves I've ever made in my life were both horrible experiences, and everything else was just people I clicked with and wanted to be in a room with. The the, the previous panel they talked about like. Uh, um, you know, to have a successful show, the writing has to be good, and, you know, which is true. But what really has to happen is the tricky part, because there are a lot of really good writers, and I'm on the panel with them. Uh, but you really have to write uh, well with, uh, and the American public has to fall in love with those characters that have been created. It doesn't matter. I mean, like, you, oh, because there's some really successful TV stars, and they're successful in one thing and not in the other. And it's because America, like, ah, I don't want to see him that way. You know, it, it, it's just, and so that's the tricky part. Otherwise, we, we, you had could, you huh? we, we had that experience with Bob. Huh? We had that experience with Bob Newhart. Bob, we, Bob Newhart was just as funny when we uh, did Bob. He really was. He was hilarious. But America went like, I don't want to see him as a, a comic book well, artist. And, you know, I, I developed a show for Jim Belushi. Who knew? You know, I, mean, I mean, it was like the, the, the Disney's like, yeah, can you do a show for Jim Belushi? Oh, sure, we'll write the script and it'll never be made. You know, and then it goes on 183 episodes. Eight years so, later. Eight yeah. years. Yeah. And uh, man, you, you never know. You never know. One of the things that really does happen is there, there will be rooms that are just hot. You can tell that the room, it's a good room. It's a friendly and funny room. And that can come across. Um, uh, there are also times when a hot room goes cold. And we'll just, we just, as, me, as much brain power as you have in there, as funny as we were yesterday, you're just not funny today. And we never know why. Yeah, and later on in the show, we're going to show you how a room goes cold. Yeah. <laughs> so don't leave before that happens. We're showing it now. <laughs> no, there, there are certain years in a series, too, if you were there over the span of, of those years, that some rooms were just better in, in, on that series than other rooms. Like uh, one room we all had when we had O'Shannon and Tom Anderson and Rob Long and I mean it was just a, and and Martin Ray it was yeah, yeah. fun it was it like was fun. just blast you'd love coming to work because we'd laugh all day and then there were other years on other shows that that you know you didn't it was a great show but you just weren't enjoying yourself that much because the room wasn't. Kind of crazy. Uh, we call Jan- those the Levine and Isaac's room. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Janice and I worked on Frasier, which was, uh, you know, as great a show as, as we were lucky enough to work on. But the room wasn't so much a, what would you, it wasn't so much a, a, a writer's room as it was a salon. <laughs> uh, I mean, everything was kind of, you know, you wanted to pitch just the perfect line. And it was like the Algonquin writers, you know, everybody had to have a perfect <laughs> kind of, and, and that was just the, that just came out of the... Well, you the, had to... There, there were times... I, I used to time it. There were times in that room where there would be dead silence for 20 
minutes because you weren't allowed to pitch unless you had a full, you couldn't just pitch a funny line, you had to pitch the line and the line and the line and the line. And so you couldn't even throw out an area. And, and there were, you know, I could concentrate on the joke for the first minute. And then I start looking at everybody and think, ah, oh, those are new shoes. And then I go, wait a chicken. I would like a roast chicken. And, and, yeah. and you have no idea what you're thinking and about. Yeah, I remember there were times in the Fraser room where I would pitch something, dead silence, mm-hmm. crickets for like 15 minutes. And then one of the producers would go, I what Ken said. What, what was that that you said? I, said, I have no idea. Yeah. I don't remember. It was so long ago. You right. pitch something, and when there's silence for like a minute, you figure they don't want it. But that was, now, that was just they, the way they were. Sorry. Now they use computers. Uh, your assistants, uh, you may have two assistants from all taking down every simple, single syllable, which is hard in a room full of ten people. But uh, on the, certainly in the early years of Cheers, probably most of the years of Cheers, we had two people who took shorthand. And they would just take everything on in shorthand. And you had to trust that they, out of this melange of lines being thrown everywhere, that they would pick what was exactly the right thing. Uh, uh, mostly they, when we were uh, doing Cheers and running it, uh, uh, they would, I think, just look at Sherry. I remember uh, David Lloyd, uh, who's no longer with us, would, uh, he was a consultant. He would come in one day a week and fantastic Fantastic writer, That's right. great, great uh, his, joke his writer. His son is uh, Chris Lloyd, who created co-creators right. of uh, Modern Mind. Family. Uh, he would say like, uh, "Oh, oh, oh, Sherry's got that look on her face. Sherry's got that, what, 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 you know, and like <laughs> this look, yeah, that <laughs> look." And so, you know, we we were waiting until she got a good look on her face, and they would put that in the script. But it was much more difficult, I think, but in in a way more fun too. The night have everything. You know, because everything that comes pitch, out of your mouth is not gold. Yeah, you could also pitch something. Somebody would pitch something, and we'd all laugh. But but then somebody else would go, "What if we did it? We change this line. This, we call it stabbing the frog." You, 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 everybody starts pitching on it, and and after it's gone around for five minutes, it's not funny anymore. So you you've basically stabbed the frog to death. Um, and and that would that would happen occasionally where you just yeah. go wasn't that funny like five minutes ago well I thought yeah. always that that always depended on who was the running the show that's true too yeah. because I mean really because I would pitch something and that I thought was funny and we get a big laugh and then they would somebody the whoever's running the show would basically use logic to kill it you know, <laughs> well yeah. we can't have that because blah 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 yeah. blah 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 and, and you know like, I mean any joke if you you know, well, why would a rabbi and a priest both enter the same place? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. They would go to their own yeah, ecumenical thing. Over maybe, it came, maybe, okay, what if it's instead of a bar, it's an ecumenical council? <laughs> because then you would explain why they were all... There. Oh, wait a minute. Well, okay, so it's a, it's a Jewish... It's a synagogue, and a priest who's uh, jumping out of a plane that day accidentally parachutes into... I was trying to figure out, as they were... As they were uh, I guess they... Probably explained it. Well, in the first thing they showed something all in the family where Sammy Davis Jr.'s on there, and, and it opens up with him sitting on, like, next to uh, Archie Bunker. And I'm going, like, how did they get Sammy Davis Jr. <laughs> the into this guy's? Uh, yeah, the briefcase. So I guess they, they switch briefcases at the airport. The old briefcase. You know, which the, which the, makes yeah. sense. But, boy, that's, that's, by the way, if you ever go into this and you, you ever have to make a living, that's the hard part. I mean, the jokes are sometimes the hard part. But the really hard part is like, okay, we, need, we got Sammy Davis Jr. on the show, and here's the story. How the hell do we get the two of them together? If you can do that, you can work forever. How many uh, want to do this kind of work? 
How many okay. have been talked out of it? <laughs> <laughs> How many have been so talked fun. into it? <laughs> well, you know, the other thing about the room, which is true, is that it's, it's not for the faint of heart. It's not for somebody with thin skin that, by and large, the rooms are absolutely filthy and that the, uh, the amount of jaw-droppingly tasteless, horrible, oh. sexist... So you won't be seeing that in our, this room. <laughs> I, I thought- terrible jokes <laughs> that, that, that go on in a room for like every joke that we laugh at that gets put in a script, there's probably 20 horribly inappropriate, highly offensive jokes that uh, that get pitched. By filthy, I thought you were talking about the fact that there's all this snacking that's going on. And and there's these big couches. Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. Well, there's big couches you're sitting around. And then years later, I heard that there were rats in those couches all those years. There was a family (laughs) of rats in the Cheers sofas. What? There was. Oh, that's so crazy. Yeah, there was. But... But it's not please. hygienic. It's not. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Oh no! You learn too much about people. But the other thing you don't want to yeah. know. What? It, it really is your living quarters. It's yeah. you, you. I mean, you might as well just plan to move in, and it's a fun place to live. But because of the way television, I should stop and tell you for a second. The way television goes is, let's say you've got a Monday to Friday schedule. That means you introduce a new script to the cast and the network and the studio on Monday, and you're going to film it or, sh- or or tape it on Friday. Okay. So on Monday you have your table reading. The cast reads it out loud. The cast, the actors will give you their notes, the studio will give you their notes, the, um, the, the executives from the, the network will give you their notes, and you'll take all of these notes, often they're mutually exclusive, and they contradict each other greatly, and our job is then to go back to the room and craft them into a story or throw out the story that we've been working on and make a new story. Also, the actors will read it while they're eating lunch. Right. So that's... Right. Right. Newhart yeah. always... Newhart would start the script. He had a can of Pepsi and a bagel. I don't know if he did it on your show, but I worked on the show with Long, Stanley Long with him. And he, and he would have the bagel in his mouth for his first line. <laughs> you, was, yeah, Kelsey, and Kelsey would always have a turkey burger right. on uh, Frasier, but he wasn't eating uh, carbs at that point. So he was just picking up a, a turkey burger with his hand <laughs> while... <laughs> <laughs> Woody Harrelson had corn chips. Yeah. Corn chips, good. And, and yeah. digestive issues. And um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I'm not saying anything that yeah. wasn't famous. Right. Yeah. Um, anyways, what would happen is the cast would read the script out loud. We would be hearing it in their voices for the first time, and we're learning things about it too. We'll learn things like, oh, gee, we haven't had, if it was Cheers, we haven't had Carla speak in the second act. We need to put something in. Because when you're writing a script and you're juggling, in the case of Cheers, 10 actors, 10 beloved characters, you really want to make sure that they're all served really, really well. So... Um, So we could hear things ourselves that we needed to correct. You go back to the room after the table reading on Monday, say it was Monday, and um, our job now is to make sense of all the notes, to fix it and to rewrite it or throw it out and write it all over again so that on Tuesday morning, the actors can come in and have something to rehearse. We would go in on Tuesday, late in the afternoon usually, and see what they had rehearsed, and we'd learn a whole bunch of new things about it. First of all, we'd learn what they didn't like about it. 
Um, they would tell us. Yeah, they're yeah, not nice shy about them. that. Yeah, they would tell us. There, famously, one time, B.B. Newworth on Cheers said, we, we, had a, we had a whole episode where Lilith, the character of Lilith, who is a scientist, a, a, psycho, a psychologist and a scientist, she has a white rat, a beloved white rat, and her white rat dies. And her husband, Frazier, starts to fear for her sanity because she's, carried her, she's carrying her white rat around in her purse. We wrote that, yeah. And, um, <laughs> and we had this whole episode built around the fact that Lilith, um, like Miss Havisham, would not let go of this creature, that, of, the, of this thing that, that, that meant so much to her. Um, and on what would have been the second day of rehearsal, Bibi comes up to us and to the writers, and we're all sitting in a row on our, on our director's chairs, and she says, Lilith doesn't carry a purse. And we went, what, what do you mean? And she says, I just don't believe my character would be the kind of woman who carries a bag. And we... <laughs> said, well, the whole story depends on you carrying a bag. We all kept our guns in our holsters. Uh-huh. <laughs> she wouldn't carry a, uh, a purse because she was a scientist. A scientist does not carry a purse. So we as a group of writers who know that we need to get another script on the, down to them so they can rehearse something on Wednesday are going, what the hell do we do? If she doesn't carry a bag, how, how is she going to have the rat? I think we ended up putting it in her pocket, Correct. I wanted um, to be a brooch. Where, That's where I'm pitching. I don't know that, that, n- no, I can't I, remember where my car writers guild award. <laughs> yeah, and I don't remember. Yeah, um, I know. I think we wound up with with the purse. Did we? Yeah. Did we well, no, it was. Yeah. It was definitely. Did a purse. David White no, talk her into the purse? Norm oh, we came over at, and looked yeah, at it. We're looking at it. It yeah. might. It Cl- might Norm be. Norm and Cliff were looking at it. Yeah. That that might have been the time. There was one time when David Lloyd actually, who God, we just all worshipped. He actually said to the actors, "The thing you're always dying to say to them, which was, it's pretend." Made up. Up. <laughs> it way, doesn't matter. We, we that is a good mantra for your entire life. Yeah. Remember what your traffic ticket, yeah. you know, your children talking back to you, yeah. the law, <laughs> that that latest thing in front of the Supreme Court. It's all made up. Well, we did a thing on Mash when when we were running the the Mash writing room, and we would have the table reading with the cast. And it had been established before us that after the cast read the script that we would say, does anybody have anything on page one? Anything on oh, page two? Boy. That type, yeah, boy. <laughs> Talk about going through the minefield. Wow. Yeah. And uh, usually they were pretty good and they would only bring up something if it really bothered them. But every so often, one would have some stupid, picky little thing. And when, when one did it, then... The other did it, and then the whole cast, and every page, they have something. And we would dutifully take down all of these, these notes, and then we would go back and we would make those changes, and then we would take next week's show, and we'd take about an hour, and we would revise next week's show a little bit. And when the cast on MASH would go out to uh, the Malibu Ranch to film, it would be from... 5 a.m. until 8 o'clock, as long as the sun was up, and it was 150 degrees out there in the Malibu Ranch. So what we would do is we would take the show and we would make it a cold show. So now they're wearing parkas standing over fire barrels. We did this like twice and they figured it out. Anybody on page one, page 30, page 35, thank you. We never got another note. We would walk back from the stage going, 
Boy, I feel a cold front Whoa. coming. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I worked on uh, a show on Ellen one night. It was four in the morning, and the, the one of the executive producers brought their Dalmatian, and it was out in the, the bull, bullpen area barking the whole time, four in the morning. Oh, man. And I had pneumonia, and they wouldn't let me go home. And they, they were sitting there going, and or but. <laughs> and, and I was like, it doesn't matter, it's just TV. You know? It's crazy like that. There's, there's a lot of um, exhaustion that sets in, and a lot of television and, and a lot of comedy is um, exhaustion-driven. Um, so when you see things that either don't quite make sense in, God, that's stupid, or in a, God, that's brilliant way, it's just because we've hit too many four in the mornings in a row, and we don't know what we're doing anymore. One of those that happened, we were talking about this with Cheers. Do, do we have that clip, Richard? Well, it's Okay. Okay, perfect. Um, one of the things that happened on the first year that Billy and Fief and I um, had stepped up to become the um, executive producers and showrunners on Cheers is we had a whole, um, uh, like a six-episode story arc that was going to revolve around uh, Rebecca's sister coming to the bar, Sam meeting Rebecca's sister, falling in love with her, and marrying her within the 26-minute episode. And then... He married Re- her by act break. By act... Oh, okay. Within 13 minutes. Um, and, um, and then in the second act, Rebecca was going to react to it. We had initially... They, uh, an actress had been cast to play the role who we discovered at the table reading on Monday... Um, really could not manage to speak above a whisper. She was a model, not an actress. And, um, although you can be both. Um, and, uh... So we rewrote the script entirely, stayed up all night Monday rewriting it entirely, bring in a new script on Tuesday, and she does the new script at a voice like this. And we realized that we were not going to be able to get a show in front of an audience with that um, actress playing the role. So we had to sadly say goodbye to her, um, and they had to pay her for the six episodes she'd been hired for, and they hired Marsha Cross to play the role. Um, By now, we had burned off two scripts, and it was Wednesday night. We had spent two nights all night in the writer's room, and um, we have to write a new script because one of the things that happens is once you've sent a script to the the floor, to, to the stage, to where the actors are, even if there was reasons beyond your control um, that it didn't work, you still can't send that same script back. You have to send them a new script. Would you say that's true, guys? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. So you have to send a brand new script down. So it's Wednesday night now. We are going on zero sleep, and um, we have to send a script down to the stage tomorrow for a new actress, brand new story, that is going to be shot day after tomorrow. So it's now or never, and we don't know what to do. We're exhausted. We're not, we just, we're at our wits and nobody has an idea in the room. And Billy says, oh God, just have Rebecca shoot her goddamn sister. And we were so tired, we all went, hey, <laughs> that's an idea. And we didn't, remember how punchy we were? We didn't know what we were doing. Sherry is one of the great showrunners of all time. Stop she, is. she really is. Oh, she is. That's stop why, you that's now. That's why she's moderating. Right. That's right. She's moderating on energy. And, yes. and, uh, during that, right around, right around that time she's talking about, just before that time, I see Sherry give up, which is a really scary thing to see. I mean, it's a really, really scary thing. Because then you're like, well, we're adrift at sea. We're all going to die. Um, and then 
You know, the Satan but, gave me that line. But, but what happens from. in the room is the room has this the room has this energy, and when that energy picks up, you go with it. So once he said, "Hey, how about if Rebecca shoots her sister?" We kind of went, "Well, how can we do that?" And um, we ended up with an episode. Do we do we have a clip? Pardon me. Yeah. Yeah. Oh God, no, not eleven minutes. No, that's no, okay. No. Um, just do where she shoots. Anyways, the fun part of it was we Sherry just wanted go to home say tonight, we have to that clip. I, I want to say let's roll it. No, it's all <laughs> okay. that clip. It's uh, all right, Rodney. Um, uh, email us later. We'll send you the link. Um, so you want to show something? How long is it? Fantastic. Two minutes, perfect. Anyways, this is a clip from the episode that we won shockingly our first Emmy for, and it came out of blood, sweat, tears, failure, and giving up. Born of desperation. Yep. Um, so let's just take. Um, let's actually. Should we take some questions? Sure. I wish. wish. Let's do a little bit of, little bit of questions. Anybody have any questions? Yeah. That was CBS's idea, and Larry Gelbart and Gene Reynolds, who created and ran the show initially, uh, were vehemently against it. And the one concession that CBS was able to give them was not to have uh, a laugh track in the operating room, because it didn't really seem right to have people laughing with blood spurting and everything. Um, they had to be talked into that. But... Um, we were we were always against laugh tracks, and CBS was dead against it. And when the show aired in Great Britain, they aired it without the laugh tracks. And you know, people who watch the show there, they can't they can't even imagine what it would be like with a laugh track. And I think if you buy the uh, the DVDs, that you can Available. buy them. Yeah, without, Available without in the lobby, laugh yeah. track. Yeah. Available uh, without. 50 dead people laughing at every joke. Yeah. yeah. The, 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 the great thing about, the, just <clears throat> parenthetically there, uh, the great thing about working in, with scenes in the operating room is you could change lines um, because of the masks. So if a line didn't seem right, if it had already been shot, you just have them dub it over because there was no problem. Everything was covered. Yeah, we well, had like an Power actor ad-lib. <laughs> and, uh, and they called down from the stage and they said, he's, he's ad-libbing all these lines. And we said, just let him do what he wants. And then we just took all the lines out. And when he saw it on the air, it's like, hmm. <laughs> and then we sent him, we put him in a park and sent him, sent him to the ranch well, in a Tricks of the trade. Yeah. Um, I, laugh tracks, I think, get a bad rap. I think that there were in the 80s terrible laugh tracks or 70s and I don't know but you know where it was guys with dials and it was screaming but the shows that I've done that in front of an audience the laughs are real yeah. um, and, and you're not hearing you know 50 dead people you're not hearing the people from Lucy laughing which is what it used to be it used to be that audience um, what you're hearing is what the people in the stands and sometimes it's, it's annoying as, as, as writers and as actors, you don't want them because you get that woo every time somebody kisses, you know, or or or, or ooh if it's you know something horrible happening. But the laughs are real, and so I don't know anybody these days who shoots in front of a live audience so that the audience so it's it's laughed, 
who pipes and laughs. I, I really don't know any show that does it. I think they, uh, uh, I mean, I'm a cornball, but I think that they get a bad rap. Um, you know, I think that uh, some of the half-hour uh, single-camera comedies I think would be funnier if they were done in front of an audience, whether you want to take out the laughs or not afterward. But I think that rhythms, it's performing in theater, you know? I mean, you feed off an audience. And I but think sometimes that it's artificial. I mean, yeah. you know, a, Absolutely. a show like there are Whitney, those people. where they're just cranking up the laughs, and you know that that the audience is not laughing that hard. It's, it's not so much cranking, we always say in the, in the, in the mix. Uh, could you brighten that up for me? Yeah, brighten yeah. it, sweeten it. Yeah. Sweet, sweet. But, but it, it's, it, if you earn it, it's like a sporting event. Yeah. You know, if you right. watch a sporting event with, where there's, they don't give you anything. But actually, in Santa Barbara, if you go watch your kids play basketball, I, I don't know, people here are the quietest people. They just sit there. And watch. Oh, very interesting. <laughs> oh, he's, yeah. he's running now to the, to, you know, across the court. And I'm like, go, go, <laughs> you know, move it. And, they're, and, and they're, they all stare at me like, what right. are you doing? He's like, I mean, I it's a little bit sports, a little bit yeah. rock and roll. Well, there really is a synergy in the um, in in uh, shows that are filmed before a live studio audience, as they say. Uh, there really is a wonderful synergy that happens when the cast and the audience are grooving together, and they yeah. make you know they lift each other. And so, I mean, what you were hearing there was not sweetened or brightened. It was it was the real laughs. And ideally, if those laughs are honest, and if at home people are laughing too, then you're laughing along with. And it's not like they're leading the the home laugher. You just you're laughing. You're well, part it, of a shared yeah, but, audience. But, but right. those are shows in front of an audience, and the TV audience watching understands that. A show like MASH, right. where you're going, uh, is there a, a bleacher section in the chopper pad? Where are all these people? Why, right. That's insane. You know, right. so, sort of defies you know. logic, but, you know, it was, it, it was, a, it was an established um, trope in those days. I mean, I think... I didn't understand in MASH, though, why they, those guys stayed there all this time. I mean, weren't there like an airport? It's they pretend, could go? Billy. Oh. <laughs> it's all think, made yeah. up. <laughs> I don't think anybody told them it was yeah. over for on, like yeah. 10 uh, years already. On some shows, too, it can, can really hurt you if you have a bad audience some night. Uh-huh. And the star, in, in this particular case, Mr. Belushi, didn't hear them laughing. The script was automatically terrible. I mean, and we found out afterwards that we had one horrible night. And, and we found out that three-quarters of the people in the audience were Dutch. Oh, so, wow. yeah, we had that Swedish. Happens yeah. all the time. All the time. You got a show that's been killing all week. It's just been fantastic, and it's not playing at all. And you're turning around, going, "What? Who are these people from?" And they find out they're from some foreign land. And yeah, they're in Hollywood. In. They're, they yeah, they're from the Universal in Studios too. English. Yeah. In- invariably, when you shoot your pilot, you're always getting that audience, and you're yeah. like, mm-hmm. "What? <laughs> Can we get real people?" When you, got, when you got cheers going, you can get basically, you got great audiences. But when you're starting out with your pilots, it's... Yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah, I, uh, the first show I did in California was uh, called Square Pegs. And um, just so that you... Yeah, right. Just so you know, Sarah Jessica Parker turned 16 while we were doing it. So, wow. Yeah. So that just gives you a, an idea of when it was. But that was single camera. And the pro- it was very difficult because... There was no holding for laughs. You, you didn't have a sense. It was your own taste. You, you wrote it once, um, and, and that show was just run, in my opinion, miserably. There was no room. So you didn't get anybody else's feedback. It was just you and the executive producer. But when you don't have rehearsals, 
so that you can see what works, then it's just like, well, this was funny in my head, so obviously this was funny. And you see in single camera stuff, I mean, some stuff is great. I think some sing single camera shows are fantastic. But others, you know, irony doesn't make me laugh. And a lot of the single camera shows to me are, you know, ironic humor. And I want to laugh. I mean, it's just my own rudeness that I just want to, <laughs> and, you know, laugh and then go to bed. <laughs> That's what I want to do. Um, but single camera, it's, it's hard. You can't get any rhythm. You have no sense of how it's going. The actors have no sense. Um, I think it's... I, I think it's hard to... I admire the people who can it, make it work. It's hard to write a comedy by oh. yourself. I yeah. mean, that, that, that's, why I think, one of the reasons for The Room and why there's so many writing partners. Oh, the, the real reason there's so many writing partners, I don't know if this is still true, but they used to be able to pay you one and a half times. So they got two people for the price of one and a half, and they... They always love that. Um, but I, I think, you know, it's, when you're just writing by yourself, you go, I think that's funny. But you don't really know. Whereas if you're writing with somebody else, then they, they may laugh, and then you have a fairly good indication that two people think it's funny. And you, tend to write them, you tend to write the drafts. You tend to go over the drafts more before it hits the table. Um, so you really work on the script a lot more in terms of... For single camera For shows. single camera yeah. shows. Whereas, you know, on a three-camera show, you're going to go down and see it. So at some point, you're going to get the story right and then hear it and then see it. But on a, on a single camera, you really want to keep working on the script a lot more because you're going to get one look at it, one reading, and maybe a couple of scenes might be rehearsed for you. But that's it. Then you're, you're, you're done with it. Yeah, so. in a multi-camera show, you're held accountable. Right. You know, you have 200 strangers. And sometimes when an actor would pitch a line... And you would go, okay, do you really have faith that 200 people who don't know you would laugh at that joke? Okay, no. <laughs> <laughs> and but sometimes we take a risk. Sometimes we would, we would have to, in the room, we would have to guarantee a joke. We'd have to yeah, take insurance. out insurance on a yeah, joke. Right. Yeah. <laughs> the greatest feeling of all is when all week long people are going, I don't think that joke's going to work. That's just your joke. I don't think it's going to work. I don't think it's going to work. And then it, like, it kills, and, or, or right. sort of kills. And you go like, huh, how about that? Yeah. <laughs> I had that one the whole way. I, I, I knew. Yeah. There are other times, too, when, when you, you're surprised when what you thought was a straight line gets a big laugh. And you're going, how come 200 people independently thought that was funny, and the highly trained professionals <laughs> had no idea. <laughs> highly trained yeah. professionals. But you take it. <laughs> right. Yeah. Take it. yeah, question over there. Hi. Thanks for coming. This is really fun. Thanks. Um, I virtually know nothing about script writing, so I have kind of a two-part question. Hey, you're in good company. Right? <laughs> you're um, this close to being a highly trained professional. <laughs> <laughs> that, was, that was out there. For the yeah, yeah. <laughs> we were all pitching it. Yeah. Um, first of all, you were talking about having like a six-episode arc for a character or for a storyline, so I'm wondering how far in advance are you actually writing these scripts? And also, you talked about how you write a script, you have a script ready on Monday to be shot on Friday, and you're working on it in between. So when are you actually writing the script? It seems like you're fixing scripts all the time. Maybe I'm just not clear on that. You, it's, you're absolutely right. And that's why you need a staff. That's why you need... And on Cheers, I think we at any one time had like maybe seven to ten people 
In the later years, uh, originally, the first year, it was Glenn and Les Charles and me and David, and that was pretty much it. We had David Lloyd and Jerry Belson each coming in one night a week. But we would arrive at like 11 in the morning, and you would be writing and working on other shows, and then at 4 o'clock, you'd go down for the run-through, and then you would, you would rewrite all day and all night. So most days were... 12, 14 hours routinely yeah. for eight months. I would use so, another sitcom as, a, as an example for this. It's kind of like the um, conveyor belt in I Love Lucy where she has to box candy. chocolates. You know, at the start, it's kind of you've you got time, you've got pre-production. You, you know, you can work on a few stories out. You want to get a little bit ahead. People are writing your head. And then the, the belt starts going faster. Production starts casting, editing rewriting to the point where you're just, you know, what you took a week to write it, you write it over the weekend. So, so it's, it's really depends on the time of year. The time of year, yeah. At the beginning of the year, we'll have maybe a two-month head start before the actors come in. So we'll stockpile as many first drafts of the script as we can, of scripts as we can. So we'll start the season with maybe six or eight scripts, if we're lucky, ready to pull off the shelf and, um, you know, and, and put on the table. We need that because, as, as Ken and David said, we are doing many other tasks during the week. We're working on um, n- getting new scripts ready, ready. We're doing editing on the scripts that have already been done. One of the things that happens in TV that's very unusual is the writer, uh, you, you got into it to be a writer, just to laugh and make people laugh, but the writer is the constant on a TV series. So we also become very shortly, we become the producer. And that means you are casting, you are approving set designs, you're looking at um, wardrobe, uh, you're editing, you're doing so many different tasks that have nothing to do with writing. One year we cured leprosy. (laughs) (laughs) But this is as opposed to being in the feature world where the writer is basically everyone's little bitch. But at least in television the writer has control. So, yeah, you're working a million hours, but at least you have the satisfaction that you're the one making the creative decisions. And it's, uh, it's a choice that we all gladly make. E- even when you think you're far enough ahead, one, once, uh, when you're on Bob, uh, we had just finished the script. Oh, this is good. Oh, tomorrow will be a good day because we get the script done. Then we realized, oh, we really couldn't do the script we had just finished for some reason, it just couldn't follow the next... It couldn't be the one. So we had to really come up with an entirely new story that night to start writing the entire morning. Because it was really... And it was, it was really uh, depressing, <laughs> was like, I recall. Like, but it can, be, it can be done. It was like you said, Sherry, where you plan for like a six-show arc, but you do the first episode and you realize, you know what, this isn't going anywhere... Well, your choices are to now do five scripts following that don't go anywhere, or you have to throw them out or redesign them. So even the lead time gets eaten up. It's like Pac-Man. It just I, don't, I also think when you when you hear somebody like Sherry though, who is not only smart and funny but also organized and sees the big picture, 
I've been, I mean, I'm, I've been on shows where people are, you know, you really prepare, you, you get as many as you can in the can, because something will happen, and it's great to have some, a script. If something fails on the floor, you can throw another one in. But I've been on shows where, and it's always been men, uh, showrunners <laughs> who don't want to go home. They either, they, they don't want to go home, and um, they don't want to make a decision. So then the fact that you're behind is not the fault of the fates and the gods. It's because they want to work on the weekend because if they are home on the weekend, they can't have sex with the woman that they're having sex with at work. <gasps> and they can't drink there. So, but if they're... I am if, shocked. Um, she said. But if they're working on the weekend, they get to stay drunk and they get to be in the room with her. Yeah, you never want to be on a show. You never want to be on a show with a guy who doesn't want to go home. He's either just divorced or should be just divorced. (laughs) You don't because then it's disorganized and chaotic and you're behind for for no good reason. You know, there are plenty of good reasons uh, that still suck. But these, these people just, you know, I've been the someone we were talking about today at lunch, you know, he would go to the table maybe with two scenes of a script. My, and, you know. Yeah, I mean, it, it's... Uh, it, this should it's, not be thought of as a disparagement against sex. No. Right. No, no, no. I'm all for sex at the office. Or That's sex with fabulous. writers. Sex with this, writers. The, the one thing... The one sex with writers... Yeah. yeah. Ah, yeah. Let's, let's talk about things that could actually happen. Right. <laughs> um, the, the thing you got to know is that if you know what you're writing about, that's a big plus, too. If you know what the show is, if you know where the show is going and what the show is about... You'd be surprised how many shows we've been on or, you know, we've been lucky enough to be on Cheers and Frasier. And you know what the center of that show is. You know what you're writing to. You know characters like Sam. Sam is a hound to the very end. And when you know that, you know where you're going. And if you don't know where you're going, the hours just pile up because you're just talking story before you even sit down and write. One of the things that happens when you're guessing is... If you have to throw something out, you don't always know which is the baby and which is the bathwater. Right, right. So you throw something out, and you're just guessing. Yeah. But also on those on those Monday through Friday uh, the rewrites, I, in my opinion, those are the most fun. Rewriting to me is the most creative of the whole part of the process. When you're in the room, you bring in a script, you work on it two or three, four days. You're so proud of it. You bring in and oh, this is great, this is great. Then they take it apart, and everybody reads it and starts pitching jokes, pitching things, and. It, new writers usually tend to get kind of miffed at it, but, but it's really a great process to watch everybody kind of... This is a good writing room, by the way. Uh, to add their jokes and their humor and their sense of view, uh, their, their point of view and, and stuff you didn't even think of. They, they'll pitch jokes. You go, oh, that's great. You know, and really, it just makes you look better because your name's on the script. So it's really... It's a great process. Well, that's yeah. one of the things... Uh, John Alera talks about in, in um, Imagine is that, they, that at Pixar, they lead with a kind of criticism. When, when they'll look at dailies, they're not, um, you know, it's not always compliment, compliment. They'll lead with a criticism, but the criticism everybody understands isn't to take you down, it's to make you better. And as long as everybody agrees that, hey, we're making this better, um, it's, it's really productive and, and you know, and it's happening to everybody. Everyone, you know, is party to being made better. Well, uh, I, I've, um, the two best pieces of advice I've ever heard, um, Don Rio, who I've done a 
five shows with, and he's one we of the greatest. He's the greatest guy in the world. I always say I would walk through coals for Don, and I walk really slowly. Um, <laughs> uh, but um, he always said, never fight for a joke unless you think it's the last joke you're ever going to come up with. Because very often, young writers will go, I know, but you know what? In my draft, I had this job. But no, you know that? No. It, it may be a fabulous, use it again. It, it's not going anywhere. But don't fight for it. Just keep the room moving. And then I just heard a great piece of advice the other day. He just said, go limp. It's like what you do, I guess, when you're being attacked by a bear. It's the same thing that you're supposed to do in certain sitcom rooms where you just, everybody's going to just go, Ugh. like on the nanny. On the nanny, periodically, you just yeah. go limp. I was limp and the whole time. Go. Yeah. <laughs> My- you know when you, you don't when you're say work- that to a guy, though. No. <laughs> when you're working on it, when you're working on a show with folks like these, and you know what you're writing about, and everything, there's no greater job in the world, frankly. I no. can't think of a greater job because you're laughing all day. Some of the funniest people you've ever been around. They feed you. It's wonderful. When it isn't, it's hell. It's a tooth extraction. Every my favorite line. Uh, uh, it's to me the ultimate line about what it, how horrible it can be. It was a uh, producer, someone like we were talking about, who never wanted to go home like to rewrite everybody and kept everybody till 3, 4 in the morning yes, every always. night. And they were on some session at about 3 in the morning and a woman just got up, one of the writers, and she started walking to the door. And the producer said, where are you going? What are you doing? We're not finished yet. She goes, you're making me bleed from my ass. <laughs> <laughs> so, I, you know, and anybody, in, in case anybody can top that, I... Yeah. I now, you know, who was that we, the act break? Yeah. <laughs> you know, we were on a... We helped out on a pilot they once. once a month. <laughs> <laughs> we helped out on a pilot once, somebody that we all know. And we were having a really tough time rewriting it understanding the characters and the motivations and it's like about 12 o'clock at night and I said what's the second episode of this show (laughs) and he said there is no second episode. What are we killing ourselves for? I remember that. <laughs> there is no plan B. <laughs> we memorable things. We we once Billy and I. One of our very very first early jobs before we staffed the, Jeff- the Jeffersons. We worked on Benson, and I don't remember what the setup was, but we spent. Four hours, literally four hours from 7 until 11.04, because I was watching the clock the entire time, <laughs> trying to solve a joke. And at the end of it, I do remember the punchline was, a sailor and a six-pack. I have no idea what the setup was. We could have come up with that in two hours. Yeah. <laughs> I so can name that joke. So send in your setups for us. We'll yeah. gladly make a joke out of that. Um, okay, we've got about 15 minutes together with you, and what we thought we would do is play a little bit. Um, one of the ways that, uh, as, as our first panel said, as Phil really articulately put it, basically we get our stories from life. Um, and so in order to get stories from life, you have to have a life. Um, and that's why we, like, why we like to get out and have dinner at home and go home and see our children and our spouses and find out what the hell was going on in the world so that not only could we see our children and our spouses, but we could also bring stories back the next day. Um, I remember one of the most important things that I ever learned was um, one season, I think it was like maybe seven or eight, nine on Cheers, uh, Glenn and Les Charles and Jimmy Burroughs came in on the first day of breaking stories. This is, we're coming back 
after summer vacation, basically. And, um, and they said, let's make our lives really easy. And we said, how? And they said, we're going to make our characters' lives really hard. And that year, basically, we just tore our characters down. People lost jobs. They got divorces. All kinds of shit happened. And it, as writers, we had tons of fodder. Okay. So one of the things we look for in order to create stories is irritation, um, annoyances, <sighs> aggravation, stupid things that happen. So um, it's fun, though. We, you know, what we'll do is we will sit around like this, and somebody will bring up a story uh, or just a problem, be brave enough to bring up a, a, an issue, and, um, and then we'll just mess around with it. Well, basically, the more angst there. and humiliation the character goes through, the more fun it is for the audience. That, that's, because a, basically, that's a, that's a, that's a basically, great Basically, yeah. you're, you're watching and saying, well, yeah. that's not me. I'm sure glad, <laughs> like when Ted lost his car, uh, when, when Sam lost his car in the show, and he had to drive that Ford or whatever that was. That, I mean, that's great. It's fun to watch. Something one of us drove. Yeah. The interesting <laughs> thing is when you work with a lot of writers, some writers have lots of stories that happen to them. This is called a pathetic life. <laughs> but they have these stories that happen, and they're like gold. They just walk in and like, oh, you won't believe what happened to me, blah, blah, blah. Whereas really things just don't Well, that's Larry David. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. that's Larry David. Well, he, right. He's asking yeah. for it, too. Right. But, uh, that's almost his attitude. Like, is yeah, like that's begging. almost like, guess what happened to me today? Yeah, that's yeah. Is the sort of way into that show. But, you know, part yeah. of the process, too, is many times somebody will bring up an idea like, what about if Sam gets a lot of text messages from a girl? And you start talking about it, and, da -da -da, and by the time you end up settling on a story, the story is Diane goes to the dentist. Yeah. Right, right. <laughs> you know, that it has nothing to do with the original idea, that it just morphs into something else and something else and something better, and then you wind up with, with a completely different story. But it's all part of the creative process. Right, you started. At least yeah. you had a place to start. Yeah. Sure. Yeah, yeah and it's the willingness to go, to go there. Mm -hmm. Our first, uh, you, you <laughs> Thank you very much. Um, hang in there, and we're going to have Thanks another panel coming. soon. Thank you. Thanks. Thank you. Thank you. So a couple of things before we, um, we uh, leave here uh, in preparation for the next session. First of all, um, I apologize for this panel. They told me it would be illuminating and funny, and what can I tell you? Yeah, exactly. Um, the second thing is that I would like to uh, have a special shout-out for um, Matt Ryan, who came up here and somehow remembered the single show in the Cheers series that Sherry was talking about. Find it, found it, and nailed it for two minutes, and thank you. And uh, finally, they were talking about nightmares and all of those things. Our next uh, moment here is a nightmare. It's a logistical nightmare, which is that we have half an hour between this panel and the next one, and we have to actually clear the theater completely. So even if you have tickets for the third session, please leave and then come back in. And if you want to save your seats and put a jacket on it and hold it as you come back in, that would be great. You've been listening to a podcast by University of California Television. For more information about this program or UCTV, visit us online at uctv.tv.